this couple of daughters up here on the front row said that they they brought their mother and father to a healing school last week, and I don't think she said they had never been in a church service where a pastor talked more than about 30 minutes. But uh, <laughs> is that what you said? I said he'd never been at a preacher talk more than 30 minutes, and they brought him to a healing school, and I think we had about five or six hours. You know. And then, and then if they wasn't gluttons for punishment, they got all of tapes and listened to them all the way back to Louisiana. So, <laughs> or wherever they went home. But you know something I've come to learn that it's just like if you're holding your finger in a fire, a second is a long time. But if you're loving your best girlfriend, if you're a guy, a second's not very long. You know, that's pretty short. Even a minute's not very long, Right. So it all depends on what you're doing, you know, if you're enjoying it or if you're suffering. So I hope you don't have to suffer in my Bible studies. <laughs> if you do, well, I had, I'll just tell you, I had a little guy. I got a really, I was really humbled the other day, a little bitty lady about that big. She came running up here and she said, Mr. Scrivener, we used to go to church where the pastor spoke 15 minutes and it seemed like two hours. She said, we come over here and you speak two hours and it seems like 15 minutes. I said, wow, what a compliment for a little tiny lady like that. I was so blessed. Uh, she was getting something, wasn't she? Okay, are we ready to start? We're ready to start? Okay, let's put everything online and we'll open with a word of prayer. Father, we praise you, Lord, and thank you for the privilege as sons and daughters of yours to come together one more time and to talk about you and the magnificence of who you are. And Lord, I'm so grateful for the revelations and the knowledge you've given me from your word so I can share it with others. And Lord, I thank you that you're our King and our Lord and our God. And what a mighty God you are. And to think about how much you love us, Lord, that you just talk to us and give us revelation and wisdom and you want us to live and to overcome the enemy. And, Lord, you're trying your best to teach us who he is and what we can do. Now, Lord, tonight we rebuke that enemy and command him to get out of here and to not steal any words out of anybody's mind or heart tonight that will be hidden in their heart tonight. And, Lord, I ask you by the power of your Holy Spirit to lock those words in that we may use the things we'll learn tonight to bring great glory and honor to you because only you're worthy. And we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. To start off with, I was handed a piece of newspaper tonight. Somebody said, I know you don't read the newspaper, so I want to give you this clipping. And of course, I skimmed through just a little of it there a while ago. And it's devastating to me to think about that a Pentecostal woman would hear a voice she says is God. And it tells her to drive off and or tells her whatever it was to kill her Two sons. Three. Okay, there was three. Okay, I didn't read all the article. But let me tell you, if there's anything I'm understanding that the church, the bride of Christ, needs to understand and needs to learn how to do, is discern the voices that you hear. Because those voices are coming from you, from the devil, our adversary, and from our God. And I have heard the... Of course, I know all of you, all of you have heard the Lord speak to you in your spirit. I don't believe there's a single Christian that's alive today that has not heard that, and that they may not, may not have been able to discern what it was. 
but they might not have been trained like I wasn't for years, and I didn't know how to discern the spirits that were speaking to me, because if you don't know that there's such things as spirits, then you think every thought that comes to your mind is just yours. But that's not true. Absolutely not true. You have your own thoughts, but then you also, your mind is a battleground. And that's where the enemy, he works, and that's how God communicates with you. He communicates from his Holy Spirit that is in you and your spirit, and your spirit communicates with your mind. And so you get these thoughts, and you have to be able to discern which one of those thoughts should I listen to. And if you don't know the Word of God, and again, that's the problem with us. That was my problem for years and years and years. By not knowing what was written in the Word of God, how am I going to discern, you know, which voice I'm hearing? So if you don't know what God's promises are and what He said He will do and what He won't do, if you don't know what those are, then it's real easy for the enemy to speak something that will so totally deceive you that you will go do the wrong thing. I mean, it's just its amazing how many times he deceived me. But I will tell you that this lady here, and of course, naturally you will notice in the article to start right off, this is a woman of God that goes to church. They definitely didn't miss that. You know, they give you all the facts to let you know that she was a Christian. You know, so they really crucify us when we make a mistake. So it's time the church begins to understand who she is, who's talking to us. And here's the secret tonight. Anytime you have a thought that comes to your mind. Now, you may not only just hear a thought, you may hear a voice that sounds audible. Now, that voice that's audible or that authoritative voice that you'll hear that sounds like someone talking to you, I can assure you when you start hearing that voice, like I've had the privilege to do so many times, when something is really critical that you're trying to do for someone else, when, or for even for yourself, when God speaks to you in that authoritative voice, if it's something He's trying to train you or teach you, something that's magnificent, you can be assured if He's trying to teach you a very tremendous spiritual principle or a spiritual law that will change your life forever, you can be assured that the enemy will be right behind him to speak to you also. Because the enemy is going to do everything he can to deceive you. He is really there. And I mean, he's working. And he. And this is the thing I've learned. I have only heard the authoritative, audible voice of the enemy twice. And I remember both of them well. But this is the thing that I, that's so shocking. You just hear God speak. And you hear this magnificent voice. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it's not like it's something that's, uh, out there in the wild blue, it's just a voice. It's just a nice, firm, quiet, gentle voice. And he tells you what to do. Right behind that is a voice that sounded exactly like it, that I could not discern between the two. But the message between the two was entirely different. And the first night I heard that, I literally, I mean, with no training, nobody, and I heard these two voices tell me audibly, what I was supposed to do. One of them told me what to do, and the other one, in fact, I'll just tell you what they said. I was standing in front of a hospital room on a Wednesday night, and a lady walked up to me, and it was the wife of a man that had, had been just been opened up that day and looked inside of, and it was in 1986, 
And the doctors had looked inside and made the check, the test and everything, and his diagnosis was stage 4 lymphoma, terminal cancer in every organ of your body. No hope for you. It's over. No hope. When she told me that, I heard this magnificent voice. It says, Son, tell Ed to call the men of the church to pray over him and I'll heal him. Just that clear. I mean, as a Southern Baptist deacon, that put my faith to the test. Now, if I hadn't heard that voice three times before that, I would have not known what to do. But that was the fourth time I'd heard that voice. So I went home and began to check the Scriptures. For the first time in my life, I began to look up in my Southern Baptist Bible about healing. Now, it, didn't ha- it never had done that before. Never had done it before. But now then, I've got a new revelation from the, somebody, an audible voice, but yet this lady was standing as close as this lady. I could have reached over and touched her on the shoulder just like that. She didn't hear a thing, but I heard it audible. So it was the authoritative voice of the Holy Spirit that spoke to me. And, of course, there's many places in the Scripture to confirm other people have heard this voice too. But that night when I'm researching the Scriptures, when I find that hours later... In James 5.14, when I read that, I mean, it so shocked me. I said, Lord, here's what you said. In other words, James 5.14.15 says the same thing that the Lord had told me down there. Well, this is what I heard. He said, oh, you just read that before. And it was just in your subconscious, and that really wasn't God speaking to you. Doesn't that sound so nice, Sarah? I mean... <clears throat> Now then, I mean, at this point, I don't, I, I, I don't know whether I'm having a mental breakdown. You know, I'm hearing these voices. I've heard other people talk about hearing voices, and they locked them up. <laughs> I ain't telling nobody I'm hearing no voices, I guarantee you. <clears throat> but praise God for a good woman. I had a good wife. I was Wednesday night, and so Sunday morning when I woke up, I had fought an intensive battle from Wednesday to Sunday. And Sunday morning when my wife and I woke up, I said, Honey, I've got to tell you. I said, I am hearing God's voice. And she said, Well, what's he saying? And I said, Well, this last time he told me to go tell Ed Brock to call the men of the church to pray over him and he'd heal him. Well, she said, honey, my goodness, if the Lord told you to do that, let's go tell him. I thought, praise God for a good woman. She did. I mean, see, that's where that right and left brain comes in, right? <clears throat> she got it. And here I ain't got it a week later. You know, but she got it right there. So praise God for a good woman, right? Amen. So we went over there that day and told him what the Lord, of course, for I didn't tell him that the Lord spoke to me at first. I just showed him the Scripture. And, of course, when I showed him the Scripture and told him what it said, his words to me was, Now, Thurman, if that verse still worked today, somebody would have told us about this. He said, you know, he said, I've been in church all my life. He said, I've been in Sunday school. And he said, I have never heard that verse preached on. I've never heard it taught on. I've never heard anybody even read that verse. He said, today... Sunday afternoon in 1986 was the first time he had ever heard that verse. I said, well, Ed, it's in there. And he said, well, I just can't believe it'll work. And after he was not going to believe, I said, Ed, would it help if I told you 
the reason I know it was there. See, I said, I've been a Sunday school teacher for 15 years now. I didn't know it was in there either because the Southern Baptists don't teach it. So I had never caught a hold of it. I had never really sat down at this time and taken the Word of God apart line by line, word by word, like I have since then. But I, had, I didn't know that. And so I said, would it help if I told you that the reason I know it's there because God told me to tell you to do this? He said, now you're telling me you heard God's voice? Now then, all the... <laughs> Y'all can just laugh all you want to. Y'all can understand. Praise the Lord. Come in here. Y'all can understand what I've been through. But see, the Lord has trained me. He has trained me and trained me and trained me. But I'm going to tell you that these evil spirits, when she said that she heard the voice of God, it is a slap in the face to God's children especially a Pentecostal charismatic that can go to church and not know enough about who their God is that would make a statement that I heard God speak to me and tell me to kill my children. When the God of this world come to... I mean, all you've got to do is take the dividing line of John 10.10 and you can tell which God spoke to you, right? John 10.10. Now, I don't, there's another lady. She may be here tonight. I don't know if she is or not. If she is, she can say this. But uh, the other, she called me and was talking about uh, she got in trouble at work by using the word demon. So that lady here tonight, who's, is she here? She said that a baby was sick. She asked me this question the other day and said, what could be wrong with this child? And I said, well, more than likely the child has a demon, an evil spirit. And so that's a little new to most people today. <clears throat> I mean, 2,000 years ago, they were a whole lot smarter than we are today. I mean, when the little woman, Elaine, you remember when the little woman came over and fell at Jesus' feet and she said, my daughter lies home vexed with a demon. Would you come heal him? Come heal her? See, I mean, we, we understood evil spirits. And when Jesus cast evil spirits out of them in the temple, they said, my goodness, what kind of a new teaching is this? Even the evil spirits obey him. See, they knew about evil spirits. But today, we're so educated. I mean, we're so sophisticated. We don't know what's going on. We don't realize. But, I mean, I've been there, done all those things, so I know. That's right, yeah. So, the thing about it is, if, if, if God would open every one of your spiritual eyes right now, and you could see the evil spirits that's in some of you, it would scare you. It really would. In fact, I had them myself, and I can't be 100% sure that all of them are gone yet. But I do know, I believe I'm completely delivered from them. I don't believe I have any left, but only God knows that for sure. But I do know I have had them. I know the Lord has told me, and when He did tell me, I did do what the Word says, and I did get rid of them, and things changed, and things that I've been afflicted with for years went away. And so I have learned a lot of things uh, by trial and error from the Word of God. And so, the Word of God works. But anyway, if you don't know about these things, you need to learn about these things uh, because they are real. You know, they, they are the things that puts pain and so forth on you. And I've had numerous people tell me, numerous people that have explained to me and, or have told me that from what I've explained to them that pains and symptoms and things and Back pains and all kinds of things have been, you know, gone away when they learn these things and they exercise their authority themselves and command them to leave. <clears throat> Yesterday, 
You know, all of you know that there's been two young men that are down in their back that work for Bill Gothard that were miraculously healed. I guess all of you know that, right? <clears throat> Yesterday morning, my phone rang, and it was Bill Gothard's office again. And there has been a steady string of people from, that's calling me, you know, that says Bill Gothard called and said for us to call you. But yesterday morning, there was a young man by the name of Luke. Andy called, and the first one that was healed. <clears throat> Andy called, and he said, Thurman, have you got a few minutes? And I said, well, yes. I said, Andy, I'll take a few minutes with you. I said, what's wrong? He said, I got a young man here by the name of Luke, and said he's had back trouble since he was a little tiny fella. He said, as far back as he can remember, three or four years of age, he's had back trouble. Well, now, what do you think that might be? You know, don't you, Brother Jim? That's an evil spirit. <clears throat> so they put him on the phone, and I began to ask him about his life, about his mother, about his daddy, and he filled me in with all the details. And, of course, after he filled me in with all the details, I knew exactly what his problem was. So I had him break all the soul ties with his mother. So we broke all the soul ties, and we claimed the redemption from the curse. And then I asked him, I said, since your mother was involved in some of these sins, you were involved in these sins, I can assure you. And he said, yes, I have been. I said, okay, then I want, I want you to do now. I said, I don't, know what, don't want to know what your sins are. So I said, I want you to lay the phone down, and I'll talk to Andy or something, but I want you to go in a room all by yourself, and I want you to confess every known sin that God convicts you of to him. I said, he's the healer. I'm not. I said, he is, but you must repent and make God a promise that you'll stop doing all the things you've done and you'll change your lifestyle. Because I said, as a young man in your early 20s, you've got to realize early <clears throat> that if you want to walk in divine health, you're going to have to stop sinning. Can't sin <clears throat> and walk in divine health. That's just the way it is. <clears throat> So he was gone for a few minutes, and while I was talking to the rest of them there about some things, and a few minutes he come back in. And he said, Mr. Scrivener, I have everything taken care of. I said, good. While he was gone, I told uh, Andy, I said, Andy, I want you to open your Bible to Mark chapter 16 and read two verses, 17 and 18. <clears throat> so he began to do that. And by the time we got everything taken care of with Luke, and of course Bill's right there watching this, and I don't know how many other people, but I said, now then, Andy, I want you, I said, do you believe what that verse says in Mark 16, 17, and 18? Do you believe that? He said, well, Mr. Scrivener, he said, I've never been taught that. But he said, God did say it. And I said, yes, he did. And I said, do you believe you can cast out a devil? He said, before today, I'm not too sure. But he said, today, after what that says, yes, sir, I can do it. I said, okay, good. Now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting somewhere. I said, Luke, are you in pain? He said, yes, sir, I've been in pain for years. I said, okay, Andy, lay your hands on his hips and read that verse. And command that devil to come out of Luke in the name of Jesus. I said, then after he did that, I said, now I want you to say, Father, I want to thank you for delivering and healing my friend Luke on behalf of this verse, these two verses, Mark 16, 17, and 18. I said, thank you. I said, Luke, you're healed. I said, do anything you want to do. And he was instantly healed. All the pain left. <laughs> now then, they've seen Andy do it. Now then, those two boys are going to be like Wendell. They're going to be dangerous critters. See, this is what I do what I do for. I want them to know it's not only my prayer that does it. 
it's anybody's prayer that's willing to confess their sins and walk holy before God. You have a question, Ross? Let me get the mic. Hold on just a second. Okay. Perhaps I misunderstood you, but um, I've been listening to a lot of your tapes for obvious reasons. And I'm now starting to get the idea, you know, really, I should, you know, when I, there was a woman today that I met, it, she started asking me about my walker and said, and I, I wanted to stop her and say, well, would you like to, would you like to be healed? I mean, I wanted to do it and I still eat the walker, but still. Um, but you've also said you've got to be careful. You just, as a side note one time, you said you've got you to know what you're doing or something like that. When can you start just asking people, do you want to be healed? I mean, at what point do you have to be careful about the demons and stuff like that? At one point, Luke says is that um, they've got a, um, authority over me, but I can't get rid of a sinus infection. And even though I've been, you know, condemning them, whatever, and it just gets worse, and I finally just go ahead and take some medicine and try to um, get rid of it. So, lack of faith, I know, but still. Um, well, we're when, going to get there. Yeah. We're going to get there. Right. But when do you start, uh, once you start getting these verses, I mean, this guy obviously just learned the verse, or when can you actually start doing that and stuff of that nature? Well, the, the thing about it is, the, here, here's the thing that I want you to, I, I want you to try to grab a hold of this. If you got a, what I consider a small sin, you let in a small demon. If you've only been in it for a little while, and you get a hold of him, as a rule, he doesn't have a real good hold on you. And it's a whole lot easier to get healed. But if you've been involved in that sin for a long time, now some of you people in the deliverance ministries, you will understand where I'm coming from here. If you've been involved with your sins, and if your sins have been many, then you've got multiple demons. Not just one or two, but sometimes 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. Sometimes I heard of them. And sometimes you can even have up to, according to the Word of God, you can have a legion of these beasts, which is 6,000 living in a human being. Now we know from the man in Gadara that he had at Legion because that was what their name was. And we do know that when Jesus cast those beasts out, they did go into 2,000 hogs and did run the hogs down into the water and drown those hogs. But we do know that when those demons all left, or evil spirits, left those two men there, the two men were no longer beating themselves and running, screaming through the tombs and had supernatural strength. But Jesus... He was anointed with the Holy Ghost and power without measure, and he had paid the total price to do that. And there's very few of us, and I'm not one of them, <clears throat> I've not paid that total price yet. You know, I'm working on it, <clears throat> and I'm going to do everything I can to get there. And <clears throat> I want to pay the price, and it is a costly price. I mean, it's, it's a great long list of things you must do to step into that realm. I mean, I think the most important thing, I'm, number one, of course, you've got to belong to Jesus. And that's when I say you've got to belong to Jesus, I mean you've got to be His. I'm not talking you're His on Sunday or you're not just His two or three days a week. You belong to Jesus 24-7. It's you and the King. That's what you've got to be if you want to do this. And, and, and that's a costly thing to do that. And then the next thing you've got to do, you've got to realize that you have got to get to the point 
that there's no sin in your life. None. I mean, that's that you have to get there. And, and that's a costly thing. And the enemy will make that as near impossible, impossible as, as, as anything you can do. Maybe this question will help others that have teenagers. Um, I have a son that will be 20 next week, and uh, he's been dealing with headaches. For I mean, We knew, we found out that he'd been doing pot and you know, alcohol and all that, and he repented of that. Went before the elders of our church, they prayed over him, and, and he didn't get any better. But I really believe the healing took place then, but the Lord knew if the healing wasn't manifested. If he went back, if he was healed immediately, he'd go right back into the lifestyle that he was doing. So this has been going on now for almost a year. And he got to the place where Bill has so grown in the Lord that he's commanded the enemy when those darts come, command the enemy to go, etc. But um, this past Thursday is the first time he's not had a headache in almost nine months. And he was like free. Then comes Saturday. His brother gives him some CDs, Led Zeppelin and whatever one, Steve Miller, my husband's like, oh, there's nothing wrong with those. And I really kind of didn't think anything about it. But I went and looked at the CDs, and they were awful. Come Monday, my son's headaches started coming again. And I went to him today. It was a migraine today. It was a little one yesterday. I think the Lord was trying to get his attention. So I went to him today, and he came home with a migraine from college. And I said, honey, and I got in the car, and I said, Lord, what is it? What is it? Asked where is he opened the door, and the Lord said, the CD spoke to me. I went to him and said, and already built, you knew his spirit was like bearing witness, but he don't want to give up the CDs because he likes them. But I said, Bill, I said, I'm going to come talk to Thurman tonight, and if he says to get rid of them, are you willing to obey and get rid of them? He said, yes. And I believe that's he's opened the door. He needs to repent, throw them away, and the, the, then he'll have the authority to once again tell Satan to leave. Do you agree? I'm going to answer that. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And I want you to see what the Lord says to think on, to meditate on. And I want you to tell me if those CDs meet that criteria. Somebody turn to Philippians chapter 4. Those of you that don't know those verses by heart, some of you do. Philippians chapter 4, I think starting about verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, any of these rock stars or things like that, I can assure you, it does not meet that criteria. If there's any, I mean, I'm going to tell you, if you've got a child in your home and you've got a computer game in there that's got anything that's killing or knocking down somebody, you need to get it out of your house. Because I'm going to tell you what, you're going to raise up a little child that's going to become so hardened to things that when they get a little bigger, it's going to be so easy for them just to, somebody to say something wrong one day and they just reach over and punch somebody right out. They ain't even going to have to think about it because all they've done is kill, steal, and destroy on those computers. 
Just a minute, sir. Let me get a mic for you. <clears throat> but the thing about it is, we the church have got to take a stand for righteousness. We've got to separate ourselves from the world. And that's why our children are being beat up on by the devil day in, day out. Um, I just wanted to share this with a lot of parents. When my children were real little, everybody wanted these little Game Boy, these little things that they play with. And I didn't have any you know, computer games or anything in our house or Nintendo. My kids still say they're challenged. They never played Nintendo at home. But anyway, um, so I finally uh, relented and got this little Game Boy you know, with a little cartridge in it. And I was reading the instructions. And, I mean, we've been, you know, deliverance pastors for a long time. And I was reading the directions. And this is what it said in the directions. It was a warning. The, the flashing lights may cause epileptic seizures. Yes. And I read it to him. And, I, and so we sat down and explained to the children. We said, you understand, we cannot play with this. I said, this, you know, causes demons to manifest. And you're opening yourself up. You know, the kids really didn't quite understand it, but, you know, we returned it to the store. Well, praise God that you did. Uh, uh, back in 1999, when I was teaching a spiritual warfare class at Hillcrest, uh, on a Monday, I had a sty that came up on my eye, and it was almost a, it just kept getting bigger and bigger, and it was like a half inch long. And I said, man, uh, I know I haven't sinned. And I know I'm in the Word of God, and I'm teaching the Word of God. Why have I had this style? And uh, I heard a voice. You know, you're talking about discerning the Spirit. This voice says, yeah, and when I get through with that style, you won't even be able to read the Word of God. I says, oh, I got you, devil. I said, <laughs> I said, in Jesus' name, you're going to have to be gone by the time I pick my little girl up from school, and I'm in the Word of God. I said, when I get over there to that school and pick her up, I said, this thigh better be gone in Jesus' name. And I said, I'm not putting up with it. I'm not, re- I'm not taking this. And so when I got to school, I asked my little daughter. She was uh, um, eight, eight, nine years old. And I said, Katie, I said, look at Dad's eye. I said, you see anything in that eye, either one of them? She says, no, Dad, they both look the same. So I looked up in the mirror, and that was, sucker was gone. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, see The thing about it is, we as a body of Christ must get a hold of the fact of who our enemy is. And the enemy will come and put things on you. Of course, I teach you that when he has legal right, you have to repent. But he'll come put you to the test sometimes when he does not have legal right. I mean, just like he did with you, Dan. When the enemy comes up, here's the thing I used to ask myself. Lord, I do not understand why in the Word of God you clearly said that if we will be obedient, you will take all sickness and disease away from us and we'll have none. And you've made that statement over in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, and in Exodus 25, you told us clearly that no sickness and disease would be among us if we would walk in obedience to your Word. I said, Lord... I don't know a whole lot about this new covenant, but I've read a little bit about it at that time. But I said, it says we got a better covenant with better promises, and it's sealed in the blood of Jesus. And I said, Lord, if that's true, why is so many of the church sick? I mean, you know, I had a lot of questions. When I used to used to read the Bible just kind of flippantly, or, you know, read over it, I, didn't get a, I, did, I just didn't get a hold of it. But one day when I began to realize this book is an owner's manual written for me and you for life. And so when I began to read this book... And take it apart word by word like I used to those manuals that I used 
to fly those airplanes all over the world with, I knew that if those books, I had to go by those books precisely to the letter. I could, there was no room for error. None. You don't live your life flippantly in that manual. You know, you make sure you're on the right page every time, the right charts. You don't guess. Because if you do, you don't live long enough to make the mistake twice. I mean, you know, you're dealing with a big piece of machinery, you know, that weighs 358,000 pounds on take-off roll, and when you start talking about speeds on the ground, 100, 120 knots, you know what happens to 350,000 pounds of steel when it's running 120 knots and something goes wrong and you run off the end of the runway? You know what happens to it? It tears it all to pieces. And when it tears it all to pieces, it bursts into flames and everybody around you gets killed. There's no exceptions to the rule. It just can't handle it. It's designed to fly through the air where there's no resistance except just the resistance of the air. So I had to live my life precisely, perfectly, according to the book. No errors. In fact, when I first started teaching engineering for one of the airlines years ago, they had a 70% for a passing. I said, guys, this is ridiculous. They said, what do you mean? I mean, that's normal. I said, no, no, no. We need at least a 90%. They said, what do you mean, Thurman? It wouldn't be a handful of guys could make it. I said, let me tell you. If we're going to bring a guy in here and he's going to... He's going to have an opportunity to have a job that's going to pay him sometimes five and ten times what anything else he could do would do. I said, when a guy is going to fly an airplane and he's going to fly all over the world, or even local around here for some of them, and he's going to fly one of those 727s or one of those 707s, and back 35 and 40 years ago when a captain was making 50 and 60 and 70 thousand dollars a year, 35 and 40 years ago, let me tell you, that's some big bucks. I know people today that work and don't even come close to making $50,000 a year today. Some of them, and some of them got some good jobs. In fact, the majority of the people make less than $30,000. You know that? Today, 40 years later. But we were making that kind of money 40 years ago. And I told them, I said, if we're going to make this kind of money, I said, the thing about it is, we should be better than the average person. So if these guys are not able to pass these tests with at least a 90, I say you don't keep them. Well, they finally compromised with me halfway between 70 and 90 to 80. I said, okay, we'll raise the scores there. But the men that I trained, I told them when they walked in, I said, guys, you missed one question on one of my tests, and you're not smart enough to fly the airplane I'm going to be in. One. You missed one question. I said, so your goal is perfection in my class. And I said, I'm going to teach you this airplane so well that when you get out here, I expect every man in this class to make a perfect score on everything. And with that attitude going in, you'll be amazed at the men. I hardly ever had anybody make below 90 on a test. Ever. Most of them are 92, 94, 98. I had a lot of men ace those tests. And I'm telling you, those tests weren't easy. I mean, I covered that airplane, all of it. But that's the way we should be doing this book. Over there in uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.15 did the Lord say, read my word? What did he say? Study my word. Study my word. So if the Lord says in 2 Timothy 2.15 to study his word, that must be what he meant, right? That don't mean just read it once in a while. That means do what we're doing tonight. We study this book. We take it apart. We meditate on these things. And we learn who we are and what we can do in Christ. Because if you have a child... At home, young men, young women, that's having problems. And if they're not having problems, 
if they continue to get involved in the things of the world, sex, drinking, drugs, alcohol, I'm going to tell you everything I just said is in the devil's world. There's none of that in God's kingdom. So if your children want to live in that demonic world, here's the end results. An early death or a torturing sickness and disease all of your life. It's your choice. But how many of them, if they knew the consequence was going to be that, how many of them would stay in there? Most of them wouldn't, but some of them do. Some of them do. Some of them say, well, it won't happen to me. You know. I mean, just like kids, they, kids know today, they know they go out and drink. They say, I can handle my booze. I'm going to be okay. Well, let me tell you, the human brain works the same on every human being. And when you put alcohol in it, it goes into a state of hypoxia, and it does not function properly. But let me tell you what hypoxia does to you. Give you an example. We'd done some altitude tests when I was in working for the airlines, and we would take people up to 25 or 30,000 feet and do an explosive decompression. Now, some of you, if you've known this, and they, you know, how many of you been, have ever flown in an airplane whenever they would say, "Take the little deal. I mean, if we have a have a problem, there'll be a little oxygen mass dropout." You're to take that and pull it down to the full length of the cord, and you put it over your nose and mouth, and you're to breathe normally. If you have a child with you, you're to pull it down and put it over your nose and mouth first, and then put it over the child. People say, well, what's a big deal? No big deal. You happen to know that the masks in the cockpit are called quick-donning masks. They're hung right there. They have to be fitted for every flight, and you must be able to put that mask on in breathing oxygen in less than five seconds. Seems so it's not that important. Let me explain to you how important it is. If you're flying at 30,000 and the cabin's pressurized to 8 psi differential to hold the cabin below 10,000 feet where you can be comfortable, if you were to blow a hole or a side out in that airplane and all of the air in that big air tank was gone and the cabin were to come up to 30,000 feet, you have about 30 seconds of useful consciousness. In 30 seconds at that altitude, if you don't have that mask on and breathing oxygen, you will not be able to put it on. Now, the average person flying an airplane don't know that. They have no idea what they're involved in. But at 30,000 feet, with an explosive decompression, you have about 30 seconds of useful consciousness. Now, we would take them up to 20,000 in an altitude chamber and do an explosive decompression. And the first one we'd done, I thought this was really cute. We had some sturdices up there, you know, some beautiful girls. You know how girls like to make up their face, right? You know, I mean, they want to look beautiful. You know, so all, that's just a thing about girls, you know. So we would give them a little makeup kit and give them a mirror and say, now then we're going to go up there. And when we say we're going to hit the explosive decompression button, then all you have to do is get your rouge out and put it on your face and rub it around. Get your lipstick and put a new coating of lipstick on your lips, looking in the mirror all the time, no problem. Now, does that sound like a difficult thing to do? I see girls doing that driving down the road at 60 miles an hour. little dangerous, but I see them doing it. So, we take them up to 20,000, and they're perfectly normal. I mean, talking to them and everything, and then we... Hit the button, do an explosive decompression, say, okay, start putting your makeup on. 
And they put their makeup on and they're putting their makeup on, you know, and within about 20 to, at, at 20,000 feet, somewhere about 20 to 30 seconds, something strange begins to happen to those girls. And within about 45 seconds or 50 seconds, we take their makeup off and we put a pressure mask on them right quick so they can start breathing. How did you feel, honey? Wonderful. Did you sense anything wrong? Absolutely not. I mean, you didn't feel anything wrong? No. Did you do everything perfect? I was doing everything perfect. How was your makeup? No problem. You were looking in the mirror. Did you get it put on right? Absolutely no problem. <laughs> Let me bring the cabin back up like it's supposed to be. And let me take your mask off, honey, and let you look at yourself in the mirror. They had, ma- they had lipstick over here, down under their neck. But see, they didn't know it. They didn't know it. Now, what this is is exactly a parallel of what the devil does to the minds of a human being. The devil does the same things to our minds. So he attacks our minds and blinds our minds... And as he blinds our minds, we think we're doing okay. It's not a big deal for us guys to go out, like, unfortunately, when out there where I was working as an engineer just a few years ago, a 28-year-old young man come up there and sit at the cafeteria with me, across the table from me, and he was having dinner. And I said, son, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Nah, no. He said, I'm I'm really, said, you sound like my mother. I said, praise God, you got a good mother. And she, he said, but I'm young. i got plenty of time. You know, said, I want to sow my wild oats and do all my good stuff. Who was blinding his man? The devil. That's exactly right. The devil. Only a few weeks later, that young man went out with a bunch more of those young men there where I work. And they had a party one night. They thought they were having a good time. Just a bunch of young men. But they was drinking and playing pool and all the things over at somebody's house. And they were just having a blast. Just talking, laughing, living it up. No fear of no kind. He goes out and gets in his car. It's one of those Jeep things got the uh, cloth top on it. He forgot to fasten his seatbelt. His brain is operating under hypoxia. So he thinks he's in great shape. He's driving down the road. He thinks he's going perfect. You know, he, he can't really tell. Because if that girl couldn't tell where she's putting her makeup on, you know what's happening in his brain. So he's running up on the curb every once in a while. And he finally runs up on something, and that thing goes up on his side. And when it does, he's just feeling no pain. He turns loose the steering wheel and falls right out the door, right on the pavement, just as the Jeep comes right over on top of him and crushes him. And we send him home in a casket. He's young. He's got plenty of time, right? Who was that? The devil. Well, see, that's what the devil's doing to people. That boy was created in the image of God. And that boy's mind was deceived by the God of this world. If you've got children, and you don't take control of those children as a mother, if they live in your house, you need to explain to them the importance of this kingdom of hell that's here to kill, steal, and to destroy. And its goal is to destroy you and your children. Not just your children, but you. This is something every Christian, every human being alive on this earth needs to get in their spirit that we were all lost and we all belonged to the devil at one time. Now, we don't like to acknowledge the fact that we belonged to the devil, but we all did at one time. But somebody prayed us out of that. Mama, daddy, grandmother, grandfather, 
a friend, somebody prayed us out of that. When somebody was praying, the Lord sent the Holy Ghost to begin to convict us of sin and woo us into the kingdom of God. And when we were met up with that proper labor, whoever it was, maybe it was at church, maybe it was an aunt or uncle or whoever it was, or a mother, father, somebody told us about Jesus. And we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And at that moment, we had been a number in the kingdom of hell. But at that moment, we were delivered, according to Colossians 1.13, we were delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of light and became sons of God. Now then you become a name. And now then you have special agents by Satan himself sent to destroy you. You're, you're, in, you're in war now, whether you know it or not. And most Christians are like I was. I had no idea that I was in a battle. But I entered a battle. And the battle is with an invisible being that's going to attack my mind, that's going to put sickness and disease on me, that's going to get me doing things, going to draw me out. If he does not have a legal right to me as a clean, pure son of God, which he does not, but it's usually no problem for the devil to come in and tempt us and woo us out from under the protective umbrella of the Lord and draw us out into the world. Many of us have failed, haven't we? In fact, I'm not going to ask you to hold up your hand, but I'm going to tell you there ain't not one single human being in this room that hadn't failed to the ways of the devil when you're young. I mean, but I mean, we all know that. See, we all know that. If I had had somebody to teach me these things, I would have been a different teenager, I guarantee you. I didn't have a clue what was going on. My mother and daddy, they taught me to be good and... And, and everything, but they didn't have a clue there was a devil. I mean, they knew there was, but they had no idea of his ways. And so, when that beast, when I begin to see this and get a hold of this, it has totally, totally changed my life. Yes, ma'am. You mentioned that man uh, broke soul ties with his mother. Could you explain why that would be necessary and how you would do it? Oh, say that again now. You said that man had to break soul ties with his oh, mother. Oh, okay. Could yeah. you tell me why that would be necessary and how you would do it? Okay, sure. First of all, it, you know, in the Word of God, as we go down through and look at it, and there's many, many scriptures, especially in Proverbs, where the Lord says, if you have anything to do with an angry man, you will become angry. He says, if you sit down with a sluggard, you will become a sluggard. How many of you have ever heard the old rule say you put one rotten apple in a barrel and they all become rotten? We've all heard that, right? Well, that's a true statement. Well, the book of Proverbs uses many examples to tell us to have nothing to do with those. In fact, in the New Testament, the Lord told us if we have a brother that's committing adultery or fornication, go to him and tell him where he's wrong. And he said, if you don't repent, he said, don't even go have a dinner with him. Don't even sit down with him because you become a protector of his sins. So you have to be very, very careful who you deal with. In other words, if you've got somebody in the church, if you're a, think about it like this. If you are around a human being that's living in sin, and you have to live in the house with them, maybe regardless of what the sin is, maybe all their sin is just watching soap operas. That's the only sin they got. But they love to watch soap operas. If you stay in that house all the time and that's all you see, guess what? First thing you know, you're going to become a partaker of a soap opera. You know, you're going to be looking at it. You're going to say, hey, I mean, the enemy's going to be able to deceive you. And that's something that's going to become a part of your lifestyle. 
And you'll never see God do a miracle in your life. Never. But if you're around somebody that's full of faith and fire in the Word of God, and the only thing that comes out of their mouth is the Word of God. I mean, they're living it. They're going out and casting out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, and everything else. I mean, if you are stay around those kind of people, guess what you're going to be doing before long? You're going to be doing the same thing. Because you're going to partake of a soul tie with that person. Now, when, when a man and a woman, that's why God told you a man and a woman keep themselves clean, pure. No sexual activity, no soul ties, sexual soul ties. Because if a man goes to bed with a woman that's not his wife, they, they come to a soul tie. Now, I had a real problem understanding at first why that it appeared to the women I talked to, especially as I got a little older and began to get where I was ministering to a few women and men, why a woman would have a desire for a man that was not her husband. But she used to go with that boy. But she said, I, you know, I really kind of wished I'd have married him. I've always had a desire for him. When I go to bed with my own husband, I think about him. Why was it? Because soul tie. That's exactly what it was. That was her first encounter with sexual activity with a man and she was a 100% woman, and he was a 100% man. And when they went to bed together, each one of them generated a soul tie, and they gave half of themselves to each other. They become one. So now then, let's say that she goes to bed with another man. She's only got half of herself left now. So now she goes to bed with another one. Now then, we've cut it down in quarters. And then we do this again. So she's had sex with eight or ten men. Times she marries a husband. When she marries a guy that's a husband, if he's clean and pure, and he marries her... He's going to give himself to her wholly, but she's never going to be able to enjoy a sexual relationship with him because she don't have enough of herself left to give him anything. They will never, ever really have a great sex relationship unless they learn how to break soul ties. They'll have to go back to break soul ties. You have to repent, number one, to the Lord for your sin. And then you have to go back and call that person's name. And say, Lord, I'm sorry I did what I did with that person. I break my soul tie with that person and I reclaim myself back to myself, the one part that I gave to that man or that woman. I'm breaking that soul tie. Now then, if you have soul ties can be generated by any number of ways. I mean, we just don't realize that when we, when you sit down across the dinner table with someone and talk with someone you have one or two or three encounters with that person, you're going to generate a soul tie with that person. Now, if they're Christians and they're good people, that's a good soul tie to generate. But if they're not, it's a bad soul tie to generate. So you don't want it. You don't, do not want to be around people that you're in contact with. That's why the Lord says, lay hands on no one suddenly. You need to be very careful. You can generate a soul tie from someone just touching them. <clears throat> it's so easy for soul ties to be generated. I mean, you, you, when you begin to understand soul ties, you can go back. <clears throat> One of the things I wanted to talk about, Rusty, about tonight, I had never went over with him, and I, maybe since he's here, this is I certainly hadn't planned to teach what I'm teaching tonight, but this may be for somebody that needs it, and it may be for him as well as some of the rest of you. If you start having problems, I mean, if you're not living in the abundant life, you need to go back and look at your life and see who you've been around 
You need to see who you've had sexual encounters with, see who you've drank with, who you've had drugs around, and all the people you've touched and had a part with because you generated and created a soul tie with that person and their demons came to you and you have those demons. And those demons will be there until you break that soul tie and drive those beasts away. Now, the, the thing about it is, you may have a multitude of them. And if you cannot get healed, if somebody comes up like, uh, like Sharon, <clears throat> this little lady here, she came to one healing school. She repented of her sins of unbelief. We prayed one prayer of faith for her, and she was instantly healed. You know what that told me about this girl? This told me about this girl. I may be completely off track, but she's not had too bad of a bad background. Not too bad. Not like some. But if I get a hold of somebody that I can't get healed, they got multiple soul ties, they got multiple sins, and all those sins have to be repented of. Now, as I've learned this, I've seen people that would repent of certain sins and it would get a certain portion of their healing. They get to feel better. And then you keep going. And then you keep on finding out what they've done wrong. And as they find more and more sins, sins of unforgiveness towards someone, they get that taken care of. Sins that, well, yeah, I, I used to have a girlfriend, and yeah, I only went to bed with her half a dozen times. Yeah, that, but, you know, but we, and she was a, uh, maybe who knows what kind of girl she was. Maybe she was a prostitute. Okay. If she was, a, maybe she wasn't a prostitute, but maybe she was a little free with herself, and maybe she had sex with 10 or 15 other men. I mean, that's common today. It's, it's, it's not uncommon at all. Now then, who knows where those 10 or 15 men come from and what they did, but when you had sex with that woman that had sex with 10 other men, you became a soul-type partaker of every one of their sins. Every one of those. So, guess what kind of a nightmare you're in right now? You see where I'm coming from? Now then, you need to start repenting. I mean, and you're going to have to go back through, and you're going to have to do some serious repenting. Yes, sir. Two or three weeks ago on Channel 4, uh, Steve Eager, who has two teenage daughters, interviewed a half a dozen high school and junior high students, and he asked them specifically about their sex lives. And their answers on, were recorded and shown on TV, and it was shocking what's going on. And when I hear you describe what you're doing, we've got a mess in this country. Amen. Yes. And this is, you know, it's happening in the hallways, in the restrooms, you know, I mean, in the closets, and uh, teachers are turning their backs, and, and we, we've, we've, we've had a real we've problem. We've got a nightmare on our hands. You're absolutely right. So now then, if these young people, and you as young people, and men and women, and young people, when, when you, you got a question? Is there a difference between breaking a curse and breaking a soul tie? Oh yes. Oh yeah. 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 The the curse the curse that came upon you, according to Galatians three, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, you can literally break the curse by faith by claiming that Christ became the redemption for your curse. By that you were redeemed from all the curses. You can go back and find things that uh, people have done and your mothers and fathers and all kinds of things. But curses, I mean, there's so many times of curses. You know, I mean, those of you that listen to my audio and video teachings on curses, there's so many kinds. But I'm going to tell you the hardest curse to break, 
and to get rid of is a witchcraft curse. And that witchcraft curse comes to you when you serve any god besides the Father. If you've had any god other than Him as your god, and that don't make any difference if it's money, if it was a Ouija board, if you read the uh, column that's got the, uh, the horoscope in it, if you read that, all those things are gods that you're putting before your god. And if you're doing those kinds of things, if you've ever called a uh, fortune teller, uh, all those kinds of things, if you ever went in to have your fortune read and they got a globe there and they're seeing in that globe and they're seeing, and you got an ant that's died and she talks out of that thing, I'm telling you, you don't realize how critical and deadly a ground you're walking on. You're inviting the devils in. And I'm telling you, those devils are going to come to your house to possess you and torment you, and God's going to let them because you made something else. You're God. In 1971, through the teachings of Derek Prince, I learned what it was to break generational curses. I'm from a family of nine, and I am the only one that walks in good health. And for years, they thought I was in a cult because they were Church Christ background, and they thought I was going to die and go right to hell because... My church wasn't built up on that rock. Amen. So it's just amazing, but they still do not have the ears to hear. Yeah, yeah. What? Well, guess who's blinding their mind? Of course. That's who's blinding all of our minds. It, in other words, if here's the thing, and that's just like with all this stuff now that I'm doing, and the Lord, every time, every time something happens, I guess as as I told y'all before, you know that Bill had signed me up for four of his seminars. Yesterday, after Luke was healed, he signed me up for two more. So now I'm signed up for six. So I don't know what God's going to do in the Baptist. But one of those is going to be in Plano. One of those conferences is going to be in Plano. So I will have all that information on my website as soon as I get it. Dave will put it on there for me. And we'll have flyers here to tell you and everything what you have to do if you want to come. You know, but those seminars cost money. You know, there's a registration fee for those. See, you get to come here and listen for free. See, Amen. it don't cost you anything. So, you know, it's, it's wonderful. Do you have a question, Brother Jim? No, I don't. I just, I'd like to see the jaws of those Baptists when you teach. Oh. <laughs> well, let me, tell you, let me tell you what happened. I know, see, it's only going to be the upper echelons that they're already coming against Bill. They're already attacking him. As soon as they saw my picture and nobody knew who I was, and they went in and read the article, and then they read this newsletter that he put out about these miraculous healings that's happened in his office. And they're continuing to happen. He, when he called me yesterday morning and said, Thurman, you're going to have to pray with me. He said, there, it's already happening. I said, I knew it. I've never been a team of men or women that started to do something for God that didn't come under attack by the religious leaders. That's all. The outside world don't never bother us. It's the evil spirits in the body of Christ that's going to attack us. So, you know, that's the way you can tell, unfortunately, what's going on. But, you know, we just need to realize that there's a war going on, you know, and it's a war going on. But anyway, about breaking these curses, like she said, you can claim the redemption from the curse. And it's, it's merely a thing you apply by faith to your life. If you know that your mother or your daddy did some things... You can claim the redemption from the curse. Because if, if Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, 14, and 15 says that Christ redeemed you from the curse, 
then all that's got to do, it says that by faith, the last part of the verse in verse 16 says that you might receive the promises of the Spirit by faith. How do you do everything in the kingdom of God? By faith. How did you get saved? By faith. I mean, how many of y'all, let me just ask you this question, y'all be serious with me tonight. How many of you, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you saw a bright light like Paul did, or you heard an audible voice, or you saw angels walking around on the platform? How many many of you did that? Well, y'all are just like me. None of us see that. So, since it would have been wonderful, I mean, to have an experience like Paul, but, I mean, Paul had a tremendous experience, but let me tell you, I def- Wendell and I was just talking about this today, as we talk about this often. I do not want to go through what Paul went through on this earth. I do not want to go there. I mean, Lord, thank you, Lord, for being merciful to me. I mean, you know, I mean, I have never been beaten with a cat of nine tails one time with 39 stripes, much less five times. I have never been beaten with the rods one time, much less three times. I have never been stoned and left for dead no times, but he was. And I've never been shipwrecked in the sea, and I've never been hungry and thirsty, and just oh, the list goes on and on and on and on. So the first time you start complaining about the way the world has beat up on you, you know, because somebody said something nasty about you, get over it. Get over it. You know, just begin to worship and praise the Lord, because if Paul and Silas could be beaten with 39 stripes, with a cat of nine tails, and then took out there and put in stocks and locked up, and at midnight they're still out there singing and worshiping and praising God. Let me tell you, you ain't suffered yet. So, until you have to suffer like that, then if you have to suffer like that, do what they did, and if they did what they did, and what happened at midnight, the Lord showed up. Now, why in the world did He take so long? Didn't he, don't, doesn't everybody know that Jesus is bound to love Paul? So if he loved Paul, and Paul's been beaten with a cat of nine tails, I mean, 39 stripes, his body is mutilated. And then they took him out there and locked him up and put him in there with his feet in these stocks and his hands in these things. And he sat down there on the ground and instead of having a pity party, he said, Oh, God, where were you? If you loved me, you'd have been here. He said, No, Lord, only you are worthy. Praise the King, and he's worshiping and praising. And midnight comes, and they're still out there. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, These boys really love me. You know it? He said, they really love me. He said, Holy Ghost, take an angel and go down there and shake that prison. Create an earthquake. Make all them doors open. Turn all them boys loose. And let Paul and Silas' stocks fall off. And that way, the jailer will see what's going on. And he'll even get saved in his whole family. And then the guy's in there washing them up and cleaning them up. See, I mean, all you've got to do is, is understand we are in a war. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful I haven't had to suffer like that yet. Aren't you, Brother Jim? I'm grateful. I'm grateful. Let me ask this question. How many of y'all in here have ever been beaten just one time with a bullwhip or a cat of nine tails? Just one time. Anybody been beaten with one? I'm glad there's no hands. (laughs) Say that on... Well, I got hit a few times by, by my parents with a maple switch off the tree. Does that count? Fresh. Does that count? <laughs> oh, goodness. Almost everybody has had that, Dick. <laughs> but we have not suffered for Christ, really. When we think we're suffering, we have not suffered 
But now we do not know what we are going to go through. That's why God is training the body to be prepared to understand who she is and what she can do. Because with all these things that's going on, with what Dick said while ago is happening in the schools and the sexual activity and the violence and everything else that's going on in our schools, these children are open doors to demonic spirits wide open. And these doors are so wide open and the evil spirits are coming in to these children. And these children, as they grow up, they're going, some of those people are not believers at all, have never been taught about Christ. So those demonic spirits are going to come upon those people and enough of them will come into them just like they did the men in Gadara. And we're going to have a group of people running around on this earth that's like those people that's going to be destroying themselves and everything else that's in their presence. So you better learn how to walk by faith. I don't want to scare you, but I'm just telling you you better learn how to walk by faith. And you better learn who the enemy is. Because the body of Christ, here's the thing we've got to realize, that our Savior healed all of us on the cross 2,000 years ago. If you have not got the manifestation of your healing, don't say God doesn't love me and He's not healing because He healed every one of you on the cross 2,000 years ago. It's already done. He's not going to do it again. It's already done. He's not going to give us power over the enemy. Again, he already done it 2,000 years ago. All we got to do is make sure every sin is confessed and that we believe him. When we believe him, just like I keep coming back to Sharon because her testimony is so awesome. Here is a lovely little lady that had been down with her back for 30 years. I know some of you had it a long time, but she had been very uncomfortable. And then she told me that she had been to a chiropractor for 23 years from one to three to five times a week. I believe those were her exact words. And she never got relief. She never could remember a minute in the last 30 years she didn't have back pain. But she, had, had, she went to a big church and she had had people that had prayed for at least a hundred times. That was her words. And I never got anything. Now see... You wouldn't, God wouldn't do nothing like that to a lovely little daughter of his like this, would he? Then what's the problem? He's a faith God. And he expects you to believe his promises. And he expects you to believe them with no doubt in your heart. And then he expects somebody to pray the prayer of faith for you with no doubt in their heart. That had never happened for you, had it, sure? No, it had not. And whenever she came up that day on January the 11th, she clearly told me all those things. I said, first of all, Sharon... You have never expected God to do what He said He already done in His Word. And that's where we all lose it. I used to think when I prayed, I thought I was trying to persuade God to do something He was reluctant to do. I didn't know He'd already given it to me as a free gift. Now, that changed the way I prayed. When I realized that healing and deliverance and power over the enemy was already mine. It was given to me. But now I have to bind up on earth. That which already has been bound in heaven for me. I had to take away from the enemy by force what was already mine. And when I got a hold of that, I realized that if I had some kind of a problem come up on me, it was usually, not always, like Dan's wasn't there, but usually it's because you sin somewhere that the enemy comes upon you. But not all the time. He can come upon you and put little things on you and begin to test you and try you and if Dan hadn't have bought that, I mean, if he hadn't have been smart enough to discern that voice he heard, said he heard, if he had a, not been trained spiritually, he could have bought that sty, and today he very possibly may not have had that eye. 
He could have lost it. That's the way the devil works on us. You've got to realize that Jesus, if Jesus, this is my question as an engineer from an operations manual, and I come to this operations manual, and when I learned these things, I thought, Lord, if you bore my sickness and removed my disease and healed me on the cross 2,000 years ago, then why are so many Christians sick? That's a good question, don't you think? I mean, so if that's a, a question that I'm asking, I'm thinking, Lord, if you did this, why have I been sick so many times? Why? Well, obviously the answer's got to be in the book, right? Well, when you continue to read and study, you find he's a faith God. Yeah, he left us with everything. He said, now, now this is something that took me, I mean, I asked, I don't know how many preachers and deacons and everything else this question. You think it's possible for us to not sin as people? And you know what the answer was? Unanimous. No, impossible. No, you're a human being. You're just a... You're just a, a man. Thurman, ain't no, no use in you trying to walk through life without sin. It's impossible for you to walk through life without sin. Now then, guess who's talking out of those men's mouth? The devil. Because, how do I know that? Because I now know the Word of God in multiple, multiple places tells you, sin not. Walk holy before me. No sin in your life. What is it we don't understand about no sin in your life? Now, See, we've been taught wrong, haven't we? I mean, no big deal. You know, it's not a big deal. You know, they say, it's all right. You know, you're married. you got a wife and everything. But, you know, she, she, you're out of town on business trips once in a while. So what's the big deal running around on your wife just once in a while? She won't never know. I mean, she's such a good girl. You know, she won't never know once or twice. So then you get this girl pregnant. She has the baby, and the baby's born handicapped. What is the, what's the deal here, Lord? Or the child has something wrong with them. And did you, ever, did you ever ask yourself why Christians have afflicted children? Sure, I did. Why, Lord? Why? Why is it you got a couple over here that appears to be doing everything right? And then again, I read an article or listened to a, on tape the other day about a man that was a deacon in the church. He was the greatest man I mean, he was absolutely a man of God, and everybody thought this man was as perfect as any deacon, any man in the church had ever seen. His wife said he was a wonderful man. He did everything right. He was kind and gentle and everything. But then he died. When he died, she was checking out things and cleaning out his stuff and everything, and she went out in his workshop, and she found a hidden door. A hidden door. And when she figured out that there was a door behind this wall and figured out how to get this thing open, somehow, I guess the Holy Spirit led her to this thing, when she got in there and got that door open, she found a room behind, in the, inside his workshop that nobody knew, and that shop was totally, completely full of every kind of thing you can imagine a man would use when he took on pornography. All those years. And she had no clue. Her husband was hooked on pornography. Isn't that amazing? Now, what had happened to that man? Somewhere along the line, the devil got into his life. Probably as a young man. That's when he's the most vulnerable. The devil got into his life and began to lock into him. And at any time, that man could have said no. But he didn't. 
Because he enjoyed his sin. He enjoyed his sin. When a man repents, when a man repents and asks God to forgive him, he can get set free from those things. Whenever you break a curse over your life, all you got to do, just like you did when you got saved, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you confessed Him with your mouth and believed in your heart that the Father raised Him from the dead, if you did that by faith, you were born again. If you disvoiced it and didn't do it by faith, you didn't get nothing. And that's what happens to so many people that walk down an aisle of a church. And they say, I don't understand my son. When he was 10 years old or 15 years old or 20 years old, he walked down that aisle to that church. And he knelt there and that preacher prayed with him and he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. But it wasn't three weeks. He was right back out there in drugs and sex and violence and everything else. But I know he's saved. I know he's going to heaven. I'm going to tell you, that boy was not recreated. That boy does not know Jesus. The Lord, Word of God says, My sheep hear my voice. And they don't live in sin. Now then, if, you don't, if you're not hearing a voice, that's another story. And there's so many preachers today, unfortunately, I hate to say this about us, but so many of us are not teaching enough of the Word. We just teach a few little pieces here and there. Because we don't want to offend you. We're afraid you won't come back. Well, I don't care if none of you come back. I'm going to teach you the Word because I ain't afraid of none of you, but I sure am afraid of Him. You know what I'm saying, right? He, it's what He told me in the Word. Fear Him who has the power not only to take your life, but to cast you into hell. And that's the Lord. Any way you look at it, He's the only one who can do that. So every one of us should have a really awesome, reverent fear of the King of the universe. So breaking curses is really quite simple. Sometimes the demons that go with a curse are a little difficult to get out. But you have to have faith to drive out the demons that came in with a curse. Some people will break the curse and never drive out the demon. If you don't drive out the demon, once the curse is broken, if you don't drive him out, he will be there to torment you forever. And I think about I've, I've so many cases, but I think about this pastor that was married to a beautiful woman, and they were from up in the north, and they went back up there. She'd been a normal woman, I mean, good woman, uh, everything, and they had two beautiful children, you know, uh, six, eight, nine years old, whatever they were, beautiful little children. And when they were on the way back to mom and daddy's house, her mom and daddy's house one day, there was a great big swinging bridge over a great big deep rocky canyon, and she used to play there when she was a little girl. They drove across that bridge, and when they got across the bridge, she said, honey, stop here. I want to just walk back out there and look. And so they did. He pulled off, and they walked out on the bridge, and the kids are running up down the bridge. You know, everybody's having a blast, beautiful trees, and it was in the fall of the year. And he's down with the kids, and all of a sudden he turns around and looks, and his wife is crawling up on the banister fixing to jump off. He goes running. He screams at her. She don't even look. He goes running down there, grabs her just as she's turned loose to jump. And no doubt in his mind what she's fixing to do. He reaches up there and grabs her with everything he can and drags her back down on the ground and throws her down on the ground and looks at her and says, Honey, what is wrong with you? And she looks up in his face and all of a sudden... She says, what happened? What are you doing on top of me? Through a curse of some kind, a demon had entered that woman years ago. And right there, at the right moment, at the right time, that evil spirit had manifest 
and had taken control of that Christian woman's life, and he was fixing to kill her. And he almost did. They took that little denominational pastor, had no knowledge of evil spirits, but he looked up somebody that had an idea. And he found somebody, like Brother Jim or whatever, he, he found a man that knew what he was doing, and they got his wife delivered from those things, and then once she, that was, she was okay. But another woman, there was something strange about this woman. There was times she would just come under such depression. Uh, you, know, you knew there was something wrong with her, but you didn't know what it was. And finally one day, we moved out of an area where this we never saw this woman again for, and then of course years later, ran into somebody that knew this couple and asked, what's the deal with so-and-so? I just used Susie and John for a name. And they said, well, you know, John, he's doing okay, but, you know, Susie lost her life. Oh, what happened? She was a young woman. Said she started to go down into the basement one day, and something strange happened, and she tripped right at the top of the stairs and fell head first and hit the bottom and broke her neck in her own home. Guess who did that to her? The devil. The devil. She had a demon in her from some kind of sin somewhere back there. He had legal claim, and he tripped her up. <clears throat> People say, Thurman, I don't believe all that. Let's put it like this. The Word of God clearly says the thief comes to do what? What is it we don't understand about stealing, killing, and destroying? If you've had any sin in your life of any kind, you need to make sure that that sin is repented of, and you've asked God to forgive you for that, and then you need to make sure that you get some strong, bold scripture like Mark 16, 17, and 18, and you demand that any evil spirit that's living in your life get out in the name of Jesus because you're no longer legal property to those evil spirits. Make sure you're clean. Make sure you're walking holy before God so you don't open no doors to the devil. For the spirit world is very, very, very real. Now, you'll agree with that one, won't you, Brother Jim? When you see them, in fact, when you've had the experiences I've had with evil spirits, I mean, even since I've been here, was any of you here the day that the 15-year-old boy screamed and fell right over here? Any of you were here that day? A 15-year-old boy. I mean, he was, about, he was a big boy, too, about a 170 or 80-pound boy. Fifth, that was his birthday. His mother and dad drove up here three or four hours from here and came up here, and he was standing right there singing. And a demon manifested in that boy's body right there. And that boy went flying, knocked chairs out of the way, and fell screaming on his back and landed backside up with his eyes open, his mouth open. And I ran over there and began to take authority. And I think Benjamin, he came over there and jumped on him with me. Well, we drove that devil out of that boy. And that boy's total life, that mother and dad told me, they've called me several times since that time. They said that boy's life has totally changed since that day. They couldn't know, didn't know what was wrong with him. But you know what was wrong with him? Sure, he had a demon. You know how he got legal right? His daddy was a gambler. His daddy was a drinker. His daddy was a druggie. And his daddy lived with a woman out of wedlock for years. And then he got saved. And then he straightened his life up. And then he met this woman. And they had two beautiful children, one son and one daughter. But guess what he drug along with him? His evil spirits. And whenever he bore those children, especially that son, that beast transferred to that boy. Why do you think God says, one man, one woman, no sex, till you get married? Why do you think He made it? Just so He, do you think He's trying to steal your fun? 
You think he was? We must think so, right? Obviously, we think he was. I mean, you know, God, surely he understands that. I mean, as a young man, you need to go out and have sex. Men tell their boys when they're 17 or 18, when they got a date, he says, son, be careful. Boy, if I can get righteous indignation, I'd like to take a two-by-four hold of a daddy who would tell his son that. I'd like to, I'd like to, first, I mean, Lord. (laughs) Whop! Hit him in the head and say, Lord, forgive me for doing that. That's what you want to do, right? Because, see, they don't realize what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. Because they're opening a door for the demonic world to come into their children and then whenever one of them has a child that's uncontrollable. Just like that couple, that grandmother and grandfather called me on a Thursday here a while back, and I'm, I don't think they're here. I doubt it seriously, but they came to They said, we have a seven-year-old uncontrollable grandson. And I said, today's Thursday. They said, can you help us? I said, yes. I said, bring him to the healing school Saturday. This has been a few months ago. Well, they came and they sat through a healing school. After the healing school... I thought they came up and said, we're the ones that called about the seven-year-old grandson. I said, well, is he a Christian? They said, absolutely not. He wants nothing to do with any spiritual things. I said, where is he? They said, oh, he's running around here somewhere. I said, well, call him. So they called him, and he come running up here. And I knelt down right here before him, and I said, son, do you know Jesus? He said, nope. I said, how would you like to make Jesus Lord of your life? He said, nope. I just reached up and grabbed him by the arms, looked him right in the eye, and I said, you devil of hell, come out of him. I mean, I did. I mean, just shook him. I said, you devil of hell, come out of him. Stop blinding his mind to the gospel. I said, go to the pit of hell. I said, now, son, how would you like to make Jesus Lord of your life? He said, I'd love it. <laughs> Led him right into the kingdom, got him saved. That's how easy it was. If there's any lost, they're lost because who's blinded their mind? The devil. How much power do you have over the devil? All. Oh. Now then, if you're walking clean in obedience to God's word, and you're not out there in his world. Now, if you're living with some man or some girl out of wedlock, you're living out there where he's at, and you don't have no power over him. He has power over you. What if you're lying just a little every once in a while? Just a little white lie once in a while. You're still out there in his world. That's a big chunk of armor that you got missing. Well, what if you're not walking in peace? You know, what if you're just mad at everybody all the time? There ain't no peace in your life. Don't try to take authority over the devil, because I guarantee he's going to beat up on you right and left. You've got, to walk, you've got to walk in peace. You walk in love. You walk in peace. You've got to meet all the criteria of the Word of God. And then you've got to believe with no doubt in your heart that God will do what He said. And if you don't get the manifestation to your answer overnight, don't doubt. See, what the devil will do to you, if, if you if, and I've had this happen many times with many people in healing, we get all their sins confessed and we pray over them, and it appears nothing happened. And absolutely nothing. But it did happen in the spiritual world. The devil knew he was defeated. But now then he'll attack your mind. He knows that what, what we can't see inside of a human's body whenever they've got some kind of a disease that's internal and the disease is being attacked by the Holy Ghost and it's being transformed and changed, but the pains and symptoms may still be there sometimes for weeks or even months. What the devil's trying to do to you is to get you to doubt. 
If you doubt anywhere along that line with your mouth, you say, well, God doesn't love me. So I guess I didn't get my healing. Forget it. You've just sinned and you've got to start all over. You've got to start all over. That's where you must, you must get it in your thinking that Jesus Christ loved you enough when you were a wicked sinner on the cross. He died for you. Now that took something. You know that? That took something. I'm going to tell you all in here, there's some of you all in here I love with all my heart. But I'm going to tell you, there ain't not one single one of you I'd give my son for. You all know where I'm coming from, don't you? I mean, I love you. And I love some of you more than I do others. And I know I'm not supposed to do that. But I, I do. You know, some of you, i got a little bit softer place in my heart than I do for others. Because some of you have done wonderful things for me. And, and, and you know, and I just, I just, I love you. But I love all of you. But there ain't none of you I'd give my son for. Not a one. You wouldn't give your baby for none of us, would you? And absolutely not. I wouldn't either. But God did. He gave His Son for us while we were wicked sinners. So He did that. And now He gave us healing and everything. And He told us not to sin. So if we will stop sinning and start believing and start making sure that we've broken all these curses, when we break the curse and then the soul ties. We were talking about breaking soul ties. The way you break a soul tie. Let's say that, say this little lady right here on the front, say I went and had dinner with her. Say she invited me over to her house and I had dinner with her and she fed me. We had a great day and everything. Maybe there's two or three or four of you there. And I found out that at the end of the day, this little girl was a bad little girl. I generated a soul tie with her that day. I had dinner at her house. I eat out of her plates. I eat, of, I eat with her forks and knives. I generated a soul tie with her. And when I found out a week later, a month later, that she had not all of her sins confessed and she was walking in some kind of a sin, I became a partaker of her sin. I've generated a soul tie between me and her. Now that I've got her back on and say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me for having dinner at her house. And I break the soul tie by the blood of Jesus, the tie that came between me and her. I break that tie so there's no demons of hell that was in her that's going to be allowed to come to me. Now see, if she invited me to her house and I was the one that had the sin, whatever that was, and if she didn't know that I had a sin in my life, it would be very easy to transfer a demon to her home. Transfer a demon to her house. That's why I'm saying this is not a game we're playing on this earth. This is life and death. And that's why the Lord clearly told us, He said, if you see a brother in the church that's committing sexual immorality, He said, go talk to him. Tell him to stop it. He said, if they refuse and don't listen to you, He said, don't even go sit down and have a meal with them. Not at all. What about your children? Like if you have a child that's, that you know is not living right, in, in, I mean, how do you treat that child? I mean, it's kind of more or less turning your back on them? No, no. I mean, what, what you can do, every time you're around that child, every time you're around that child, if you're handling that child and touching that child, and that child's living in known sin, you're going to generate an ungodly soul tie. As soon as you leave that house, you need to break that soul tie. You need to break that soul tie. See, that's like this young man that was born from his mother, the one that just got healed in, in uh, uh, Bill's office yesterday morning. His mother had brought their first baby into the world in an illicit sex affair. And then later, his daddy married her, and then he was born. 
But see, she was she had never broken those soul ties. And so that still left that soul tie. That's why that little guy was born as long as he can remember. He had that evil spirit in his back. And from the time he got big enough to remember pain, all he could remember was a pain in his back because of his mother's sin. And when he told me all those things, I told him, I said, Son, by faith, I want you to break that soul tie. I said, I want you to, by the blood of Jesus, by the word of your testimony, I want you to break the tie between you and your mother and your soul ties. I said, you can still be your friend, but you have to be very careful when you're around her. But you break the soul tie between you and your mother. And we did that. And then the minute the other young boy, and he repented of his sins, all of his sins, because whenever he said his mother had lived in a sexual adultery for a, a, a while before, I said, I can guarantee that same evil spirit has come to you. And I said, I'm going to guarantee you've done the same thing already, although you're, you're only in your early 20s. He said, yes, sir, I've done that. I said, that's what I knew. I just knew it. Because that same tormenting evil spirit will drive you away. That's just like, you may take a young, even a young girl. You may take a young girl that's never had a problem with masturbation and somebody rape her when she's 16. And after that, she'll have the problem. If somebody don't teach her how to break soul ties, that girl will come upon, will come down with the problem of masturbation. And she never had that until she was raped. But that will generate a soul tie. That man or boy that had that sexual relationship with her will generate a soul tie. And it will create all kinds of things. And that demon will do things to that little girl she would have never done in her normal right mind. It's amazing. The way you can generate soul ties. Does it make you a little bit more particular about who you're around? Guarantee it better. Yeah. In fact, I'll tell you what, if you go in, when you go in a hospital, I'm going to tell you that the most infested place in the world with demonic spirits is a hospital. There's death there and everything else. And here's the thing you've got to know. A demon never stays in the body of a dead person. They inhabit that person until they die, and then they come out, and then they're looking for someone else to go into. And so, when you're around a hospital, if you walk through a hospital, you touch anybody, you want to make sure that you break soul ties when you come out of that place if you touched anybody. In other words, I have a question. If we see someone, and we have compassion for them, and we think maybe we should pray and set them free, even offer to do so, have a check in our spirit, should we, and only proceed if the, if the Holy Spirit tells us to proceed? Absolutely. If you get a check in your spirit, of course, the thing about it is, here's the thing you need to remember. This is the secret to the whole thing. The new covenant that we're walking under is a faith covenant. If you're a son or a daughter of the king and you're walking in complete love with the Lord and you're walking in complete faith, no demon can attach itself to you. He cannot. I mean, if you're walking in total love, he cannot. He may come to you and mess with you a little bit. He may put symptoms upon you. But you've got to know that he cannot get, come into you until you give him legal right with your tongue. So, if you don't say the wrong things, he cannot come into you and make you sick. They'll try it. Now, I mean, just like in a hospital or anywhere else, you need to be very careful where you're at. And, and with what, I, what I've had the privilege to walk in, I made sure 
that my life is clean. Because when I walk in the hospital and start laying hands on babies and men and women, I have no idea. But I can assure you when I touch those people that have lived in so many sins, it is unbelievable some of the sins those people have lived in. And if I touch those and I'm going to generate a soul tie and I'm going to pray over that man or that woman, I'm going to guarantee you I'm going to be there in total faith. Just like the other night. There's a, there's a great man of God up right up here in Louisville. He's an assembly of God. He knows the Word of God. He's been, a, he's been in a good church for years. And he and I was going down here to the fellowship to have a meeting. That's where we're set up with a, as a church through their organization. And I'm licensed through that organization. So we were going to go down there. We come up to the bottom of the stairs. And there sits a man. And he's got two big corporal tunnel sleeves on. I said, you're a Christian, sir? He said, I sure am. I said, what's those things on your arm for? I said, you got a carpal tunnel? He said, yes, sir. I said, you know you don't have to have that as a Christian? He said, what do you mean? I said, I, I can kick them things out of you. He said, you can? I said, sure. You got a special anointing for carpal tunnel. <laughs> See? I said, you want to get well? He said, sure. Don Busby, the man's with me, he said, Thurman, I reached up for him. He said, can I lay hands on him with you? I turned and I said, are you ready? He hesitated a minute and he said, yes. He shouldn't have hesitated. When he hesitated, what did he do? He doubted. I said, only if you're ready. And so he said, I'm ready. I said, okay. So he just reached over and laid his hands on him. I grabbed the man's wrist, kicked the devils out of him, commanded him to leave. He was instantly healed. Took his deals off. He could make a fist. Wow. Jumping up and down, praising God. I said, that's what you can do if you believe Jesus. I walked upstairs. We went to a meeting all day. Four hours was up there. We left, come home. Don drove us home. We did some great. One o'clock in the morning, he woke up, both wrists killing him. One thirty in the morning, he said, what in the world is wrong with me? I've never had these kind of pains. And then the Holy Spirit hit him. He said, that's what Thurman was talking about. Those devils came to me. I got them through a soul tie. He said, you devils of hell, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of me and go to the pit of hell. And he quoted Luke 10, 19 and 20. And guess what happened? They gone. And he had a pain in his wrist since. Now then, what if he had not known what to do? He could have been down at the doctor's office. And in a few weeks, he could have had his wrist all laid open with surgery and all the stuff, all because he got an evil spirit through a soul tie. And all he did was just touch him. I done all the commanding and everything and grabbed him by the wrist. All he did is just touch him. Now, surely you couldn't just reach over and touch somebody and generate a soul tie that a demon will come in you. If you're not walking in faith, you can. If you've got any kind of sin in your life and you touch somebody else who's got sin in their life, that's how easy it is to generate a soul tie. And the demon that's in them can come to you, and they can cause you to have tremendous problems. Tremendous problems. Yes, ma'am. Let me let this. I think you had one too, didn't you, Bo? When you, um, when you like at the altar, like when I went to the altar to pray, I don't know who's behind me and laying hands. Like I usually will plead the blood of Jesus over me before anybody lays hands on me because I don't know who's back there. Absolutely. So is yeah. that the correct way to handle that? Yeah, and like I say, make sure you're walking holy before God. Yeah. Make sure you're walking holy. You know, if you're walking holy and in total faith in the Word of God, there's not any problems 
with a soul tie. You can just, by faith, you can overcome anything. Just a confirmation of where it says that, uh, that we should lay hands on no man suddenly. Right. And we need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And this is a time, we're coming into a time where really spiritual warfare is, is going to become a major issue. And that's why we're going to have to learn to take the authority and use it. Amen. Amen. No doubt. Well, can't the Lord, when you're speaking to, you're putting your hand on somebody, can't the Lord also go through you and touch their hearts? Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah, what this lady said, you can absolutely transfer good spirits to people. Now then, that's where we as Christians should be. How do you think we get people healed when we lay hands on them? I mean, what happened? What happened today that Sharon repented of all of her sins and sins of unbelief, and I prayed the prayer of faith for her and reached over and touched her and said, Be healed in the name of Jesus. And guess what happened? That was a point of contact, and this little lady right here had been down with her back for 30 years, was healed. And that's just like yesterday, whenever I got Andy, the one that was healed weeks ago, to lay hands on Luke after we broke all the soul ties, broke the curses, did covered all the bases, had him go repent of all of his sins. I mean, this took an hour. At least an hour. Maybe an hour and a half. You know, I was on the phone with him a long time. Walking in and touching somebody that said, be healed in the name of Jesus is not really that simple. Only if you're walking in total faith and it's under the exact ideal conditions and usually only if it's an unbeliever. Very rarely do you ever get to lay hands on somebody and see them instantly healed. Now, it depends on whether you, if you don't have the time or something happens, you, God can do anything He wants to do according to your faith. But it's a whole lot easier to get people healed and keep them healed when you explain to them why they were sick. Right, Sharon? Yeah. So, I bet, you, I bet you one thing about you now that you've received your healing, I bet you're going to walk as clean and pure before God as you can. Right, girl? She sure does. I mean... With no pain, after 30 years of pain, it just feels so good, doesn't it? And you don't ever want to go the other way, do you? No. See, it makes a big difference. Now, let me let this precious young lady tell us what she's got to say. What if uh, you uh, invite people who are non-believers because you want to bring them into the kingdom? Uh, what soul ties, even though you're sharing dinner with them? Well, the thing about it is, if it's an unbeliever, just make sure you're walking holy before God. And then might not be a bad idea after they leave... After the lead, they say, Lord, I will allow no soul ties to be generated between me, you know, and that person. I am, I am clean before you, and no evil spirit is going to come into this house. Because if they're an unbeliever, or if they are a believer, you have to be very careful. When you bring people into your home, you want to make sure that you know who they are. In fact, this will, this will kind of shock you. Did you know you can, you can become a partaker of a demonic spirit if you literally sleep in a bed in a hotel where somebody else slept? Absolutely. Yep. I've, we've gone in hotel rooms and cleaned it out. Yeah, yeah. You have to be so careful. You know, you have to be so careful. You need to be walking in total faith with what we live in today because you don't know who a few hours ago lay on that bed where you laid your body. Or what they did. That's right. You don't know what they did. You might be like that, uh, uh, well, you know, I won't even talk about some of those wicked things, but uh, you have a question, man? I was just going to comment. It's the same with a person that's sick or dying. Oh, yeah. You don't want to lay in that. Oh, you're a nurse. 
Well, no, I'm no. not a nurse. Oh, you're not a nurse? Oh, okay. But uh, just common sense, and the Lord's told me, you know, yeah, even yeah. the spirits and the person that's dying or yeah, sick, sure. you know, sure. like yeah. someone that has the flu or something even, mm-hmm. that can be transferred. Oh, sure. Of course they can. Who else had a question back here? Some over here? Yeah, you need, you need to... You really need to be clean and careful. I've got two questions. I had a neighbor that died the night before last. In the middle of the night, she was a good friend of mine. And I went over there to lay hands on her to see if God would bring her back from the dead. And she was dead? She was dead. Okay, no, she, she didn't come back? Taking her sleep. No, she didn't come okay, back. Okay, then you need to break that soul tie. Because, see, the Lord clearly told them in the Old Testament. He said, touch no dead body. Have you ever read that? Don't touch a dead body. So if you touch a dead body, and if you, if you were strong in faith, you know, that's okay. But if you're not that strong in faith, then there's not very many people that are. So if you touch that dead body, you know, you need to break that soul tie. With, oh, of course. Yeah, that spirit, that's, that spirit left. When you touch them, that spirit's looking for another body to inhabit. And when they died... You reach over and touch them. If you're not a faith person, that that devil will come right in you. Yes, it will. Yeah. So you need to make sure you're careful what you do with a dead person. That's for sure. Don't. T- if you do, like I said, break the soul tie. Lord, I break by faith. I break this soul tie between me and call that name. You know, I break the soul tie that I generated. You told me in your word not to touch a dead body. Lord, I went over there to exercise your power to raise that girl from the dead. She didn't come from the dead. So. It, obviously, I didn't have the faith or you didn't plan for it to happen, so I could very well have generated a soul tie. So, Lord, I'm breaking that soul tie, and I have no, and no demon of hell. Demon, any demon of hell that was associated with that one that came to me, I'm clean and pure. You have no right to me, so get out in the name of Jesus. That's what you need to do. Yes. Well, the second thing is I got a phone call today to see if I'd start working with. There's an organization here in Dallas that takes women that were prostitutes, <coughs> and they give them suits and job training and resumes and help them get jobs, but they need counseling. Mm-hmm. And uh, it sounded like, you know, and they come to my house for counseling, and it sounded like I'm going to have to do a whole lot of house cleaning if I That's take right. That you want to walk holy before God. That's absolutely right. Yes, yeah, yeah. pass the mic down there. Uh, I'd like to know what you would do if you know of someone that's going to die. And I, I just already know what's going to happen. Those, those demons, and I know where they're going. And it's going to a loved one. What would you do? Is there anything to do? You understand what I'm asking? I mean, but somebody's fixing to die, and and they're not Christians. No, but I know I know the demons in that person, and I just know where they're going to go. Yeah. And I'm talking about my loved one. Yeah. Well. And I, is there something that you can do for the protection of your loved one? Because she she's ignorant. Yeah. The only thing you can do is train them. You have to see. That's why God gave us a mouth. You know, he told us to go sit down with people and tell them the things about God. I mean, that's why Paul took all the beatings he did, because he went out and taught the Word of God to people. And they, the demons didn't like it. As long as the devil can keep us subdued and we don't go talk about these mighty things, then we're going to remain ignorant. And he's going to have control to us all these years. So we must not be ashamed to witness for the Lord and just tell them what the consequences are. The other day we went to an estate sale, and I noticed that right where everybody had to pass by was a Ouija board. And you had already told me that before that that I had touched something that came from the occult to break the soul tie. Absolutely. And I told Mike, I said, walk around that thing. 
But um, I said, isn't that just like Satan to stick something right out there in the aisle where everybody that has to come by bumps into that Ouija board? Now, do you get a soul tie by touching that? All Ouija boards have a demonic spirit attached to them. So so you can very easily have one transferred to you from a Ouija board. That's that's right. Ouija board, has anybody in here ever uh, actually played with a Ouija board? Let me ask this question. If you've ever if you've ever played with a Ouija board, did it answer your questions? Did it give you answers? Yes, they do. They really do. So you need to break those ties and, and command those demonic spirits to leave you if you've ever played with a Ouija board. In 1968, my brother Donnie, his wife killed him, shot him. Two weeks prior to this, uh, a friend of his and mine was on the Ouija board with him. Yep. Two yep. weeks prior. And I saw it, and I didn't know Jesus at that time either, but I still saw it. Yeah. Those Ouija boards are just absolutely from the devil. You had a question? Oh, somebody? I thought, no. Oh, okay. Okay, so, the, yes, sir. I'm not married, but say you're married and, you know, your spouse is uh, committing sin of some sort and they don't want to change. What do you do there for soul ties? Because you're basically one, aren't you? I'm telling you what, if I was married to a woman... And I knew she was having a sexual relationship with somebody else. And I knew it was beyond a shadow of a doubt she was doing it. She wouldn't be my wife very long. I'm t- I wouldn't touch her. I mean, I would not touch her. I mean, that, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I had a good woman that me and her were pure. And we became one and for 41 and a half years. And I have never touched another woman. And I don't never plan to touch another woman. The reason I don't. Is because there's too many requirements in God's Word to walk in the anointing. And it's too tough. And one of, the, one of the areas, in fact, there is a type of fasting that nobody ever teaches. In fact, we don't teach fasting at all. But you know, even in the Word of God, in the New Testament, Paul says we should pray and fast and even abstain from our own mates in sexual activity so that we can get closer to God. But he said, after a season, he didn't say how long, he said, so that you don't have a problem with the devil getting through to you, then you should stop and go back to your normal relationship with your wife and your husband. But see, he, Paul knew the weakness of the human flesh. See? But Paul, he said, it'd be better if you'd all remain like me, unmarried. Well, I can assure you, you know, just like the other day when I was over speaking at a place and a guy came up to me and he said, sir... Uh, I understand you lost your wife in an accident a couple of years ago. I said, that's right. He said, uh, I see another good woman in your life. He said, I'm a prophet. I said, no offense to you, sir, but I'm going to tell you what, whenever that woman comes up to me, and God's going to have to do a, a double uh, dance around me and say, son, this is her. <laughs> and I'm going to have to have at least three different types of the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, Thurman, this is her. And it's going, I mean, it's going to be something supernatural, I guarantee you. I mean, you know, most people want to say, hey, I see God's got a woman in your future. You start looking for her. Hey, not me. Not me. Number one, the reason I don't, I mean, no offense, I mean, women are wonderful things. I had a good one for 41 and a half years. But with what I'm doing right now, I thought about that this morning. I thought when I woke up, I said, what would I do if I still had my wife? I said, this morning, I was still up doing work. On computer work and, and uh, paperwork and all kinds of stuff and, and, and reading emails and I sent my last email I think at 1.30 this morning 
At 7 o'clock this morning, I was up blowing and going. I had all kinds of things to do. I've been on the phone with people all over the place today doing everything, and I'm down here. Some people say, you go to bed at 1.30 and get up at 7? How can you handle that? Well, now, if I had a wife, if I had a wife that I had to give her a little bit of my time, when would I give her my time? I don't have none left. That's the, that's the way my life's been in the last several months. But I don't have time for nobody else. And if you have a mate, you have to give your mate time. I mean, you just can't live it without it. So if you've got a wife, you've got a husband, you must give them time. You know, but that's time that takes away from serving the Lord. That's why I don't. I, that's why I, I really believe with what the Lord is dropping me into now. He didn't want me to have a mate to see what's going to happen in the future. I don't have a clue what's going to happen. But I know there's going to be some good times and there's going to be some times that ain't going to be so pretty. I don't have a clue what the enemy's going to do. But I know he ain't going to take laying down what God's doing right now. I know he's not. So, that's okay. I'm willing to pay the price. There was a lady come up to me the other day and said, Thurman, you really think that your wife died because of your anointing? I said, yes. She said, then I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop working for God. I said, ma'am. You don't realize what's going on. I said, your flesh that you think so highly of in just a few years is going to be gone anyway. It don't make no difference. And then you're going to die, and if you go to heaven, you ain't going to get no rewards. I said, the Word of God says the flesh counts for nothing. Nothing. Only what we do in the Spirit. So realize, do you think that Peter and John, you think, I mean, of course, I know it's just hearsay, I don't know if there's confirmation that John was thrown in a bat of boiling oil. But it's not hearsay that Peter was crucified upside down. It's not hearsay that Paul was beheaded for the gospel. All of those men died for their service to the king. So if you get out and do something for Jesus, you think the devil's going to take it laying down? No, he's not. And the greater the anointing God puts on you, just get ready for a greater demon. But just consider joy. Get out there and do something for Jesus, right, brother? Don't, don't, don't draw back. <clears throat> he said, if you draw back, I'm not happy with you. You can't draw back. So you've got to realize, on this earth, we're in a battle. We're not here to look good. We're here to serve the king. We're here to do what he wants us to do. He's the potter, and we're the clay. And he can do anything to you, Dave, he wants to, can't he? Yes, sir. Yes. He can do anything to me he wants to, but I'm going to yield to him. I'm going to let him use me anywhere he wants to. And I just tell you tonight, I don't care what the consequences are. I don't care what they are. Because I know when I get home, I'm going to have a good consequence when I get home. Now then, we need to break every soul tie. Don't run off and stay here. You ain't going to worry, Rusty. No, I'm just going back. Okay, okay. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Yes, ma'am. Well, I think you may be surprised. I'm doing a a Bible study by Beth Moore and she there are <clears throat> millions of women by doing this Bible study it's called Believing God and there's a lot of people on the internet doing it over the internet and uh, unfortunately it's probably mostly women but you may be surprised because it really teaches along the same lines you teach yeah. Oh, I, got, so I got, tell you, there's going to be an explosion. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I mean, God's, um, he's not, don't, God don't never do nothing with one person. He's got multitudes of us out here. 
He just dropped me in this little bitty tiny place right here. That's all. But he's got multitudes of people that's doing great things for his kingdom. So now, see, we can't, we can't think that we're somebody because he's doing something with us. We're just one little tiny speck in his spectrum. Yeah, so. Beth Moore is a Baptist, and she's from a church in Houston. And I really think there's going to be, a, I mean, an explosion of faith. Yeah, I do too, in the whole church. Yes. The whole church, yeah. Baptist, Methodist. I mean, everybody. I think God is, I think he's getting ready to do some really wonderful things. So. But I will say one thing. This is one of those kind of things when you never know. You know, I came to teach on a subject tonight that I didn't get to talk about at all. So, you know what we were going to teach on tonight? We were going to, I'm going to start a series and I'll, I'll do it next Tuesday night. But next Tuesday night, um, I've had, I taught on angels on radio just recently for three weeks. And it's, of course, broken up in 13-minute segments. And I've had several requests for that. So what I thought I would do, I would teach at least two or three, probably two 90-minute segments on angels and our experiences with angels. Because angels, I mean, uh, since we've talked about... Is there any more questions about soul ties? You know, I mean, we, we you, you need to break them, that's for sure. But all you got to do is name the people... Uh, by the blood of Jesus, claim the redemption from that. You know, if you, if you have a soul tie, I don't care what it was, if you, you can get a soul tie so many ways. You That's know, not you, my question. But other than touching something or a person, how else can you get one? From a person? No, how, how, what are other ways you can get soul ties? Wow. Almost unlimited. Things in your home? Huh? Well, yeah, those will bring curses upon you, definitely. Those things, the artifacts and things like that will bring curses upon you in your home. But, you know, you can get, you can get soul ties with people that will make you sick and afflict you just by uh, eating with people, touching people, handling same things they handle, walking into the hospital uh, and touching a, a, a person that's in there that's sick. Uh, demons can be transferred to you uh, from those things. You can think the wrong things. And demons can be transferred to you as you're talking to someone. In fact, uh, I've heard people that have shared with me that, in fact, one of the things I, I learned listening to Howard Pittman on the, the demonic world was that picture the Lord showed him, and it was in a hospital when a man and a woman were standing there, and they were just talking. And she was a nurse, and she was just telling him about a patient. But said this big green-looking frog came up out of the floor, and said, "As he asked the angel, said, what is that thing?" He said, "That's a demon of lust." He said, "That demon is beginning to attack that man's man to cause him to lust for that woman, standing there talking to her." And said, "He's yielding, and he's yielding in his mind, lusting for the woman, and in just a few minutes." That big green-like thing, which was a demon, disappeared into his face, went right into him, right in his mouth. A spiritual being. He said, what happened? He said, he just yielded completely to the lust. And when he did, that evil spirit entered him. And now he has that spirit of lust in him. So, see, you see how easy it is to get one? Why do you think under grace, the Lord says, under the law... You're guilty of adultery if you commit the act. 
But he said, under grace, if you lust for someone in your heart, you're guilty of the sin of adultery. Yeah, same thing holds true for anger when we curse people. Yes. We speak, you know, you stupid driver. Yeah. That's right. That's all it takes. See, in fact, the Word of God says if you call somebody a fool, you're, danger, you're in danger of the fires of hell. That's kind of scary, isn't it? But that's written in Matthew chapter 5. Never heard that, did you? Yeah, you have heard that. Yeah, okay. Some of you have heard that. So the thing about it is, let's see, Dean, you got a question here? I'm turn this thing on. Something I've never been sure about. I know that you know Satan and his forces know our actions; they know our speaking. But basically, you're saying they know our thinking too. I'm not 100 percent sure yeah, of that, but uh, obviously, to a certain degree, they can do that. To a degree, okay. Yeah, obviously, to a certain degree, they can because they're in our mind. They go in there and do a battle in our minds. Right. So obviously, this one that I heard Howard Pittman talk about that day. That man was yielding. Now, somehow that demon knew that. They might be looking at physical signs in their body. Too. Yeah, yeah, and he might have. Yeah, I don't know. But he may, they may be able to read your mind to a degree. I don't know all those things. There's so many things I don't know. But I do know one thing. You as a man or you as a woman have control over your body. And you only have to yield to what you want to yield to. You, know, you can yield to anything. If somebody comes in and says, Here is a great, big, beautiful... Coconut cream pie made for you today. Uh oh, uh oh. <laughs> you see what I mean? Instantly, instantly, some of you guys that really like coconut cream pie, immediately your tongue started slobbing up and everything, and you were, you were yielded to that thing, right? You see what I'm talking about? How easy it is for us to fall to those things. And of course, that's why I thought about that. I'll do something that I think probably several people like. Well, you know, you you can have control over that. You can look at that and say, "Yeah, I like that, but I don't I don't have to have that. I can live without it." You know, so you you really have to be careful because you can yield too easy to the things of the world. Um, Brother Thurman, um, I just started a job where I have a, an employee under me who I work in a ministry and they have devotionals and things like that, and I've been warned by the person training me for this position that this co-worker is not a believer and now I'm starting to see characteristics of that in myself you know I mean in her and uh, today now this is only my third or fourth day there and today I started feeling like uh, there's some traits in her that I had to deal with in my life before I was saved and even after I was saved I had some things I had to work through little personality quirks and things and learn to love. But anyway, it's almost like a familiar spirit. It over Today, it just kind of overtook me. And when I was talking to someone today, I envisioned I looked like this girl, and I started going through the mannerisms she had. Mm -hmm. And I had to stop myself. I mm -hmm. said to myself, what is this? You know, I rebuke this in Jesus' that's name. Not, that's what it was. But it's like the frog going into the man's mm -hmm. face. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand it. It really scared me. Mm -hmm. So how can I protect myself? I mean, I'm going to go in tomorrow and speak Scripture and anoint the whole office before mm -hmm. she gets there. Yeah. But make sure you're clean. Well, make sure you're clean and make sure that if you feel that coming to you, you get rid of it. Now, I'm going to tell you all, make it to, to let you know how easy it is, even for an anointed preacher of God, to receive an evil, tormenting spirit. 
How many of you all have ever heard of one of the most awesome preachers that lived in this last century, and his name was A.A. A. Allen? Some of the greatest miracles that God... He was, he's considered one of God's generals. I mean, when he spoke over people, some of the most awesome miracles happened. I mean, God did creative miracles for A.A. A. Allen. But during A.A. A. Allen's ministry, while he's casting out demons, healing the sick and all these things, touching people and everything, although he's walking and all this anointing, all of a sudden, A.A. A. comes down with a problem. He can't sleep. He cannot sleep. And, I mean, he's just wore out. And everybody thinks, hey, hey, you've been working too hard. I mean, you're preaching two services a day, sometimes three. You need a break. And nothing, he couldn't sleep. He couldn't, he couldn't eat right. He was having all kinds of problems. And so finally, the, the group he worked for told him, so we'll give you two months off with pay. You know, we got to have you. You're too valuable to our organization. Just take two months off and you and your wife go somewhere and do something. And when you get regain yourself, come back. Well, the first week they were out there, he was miserable. I mean, miserable. He couldn't sleep. He couldn't eat. And he said, there's something else wrong with me. Now, here is an anointed man of God, a preacher standing in a pulpit preaching the Word of God. But he had opened a door and an evil, tormenting spirit had come into him. And that's what was tormenting him. And finally, they were, boy, I understood the story. They were driving down the road, and all of a sudden, he was just out of it. I mean, he just, I mean, he was just hurting in torment. And the Holy Spirit spoke to his wife and said, He has a tormenting spirit. Cast that thing out of him. She pulled the car off the side of the road, gets her anointed husband of God out and gets him on his knees and grabs him by the shoulder and begins to scream, You devil of hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. And the devil left him. A.A. passed out. She took him to a a hotel or a room or whatever, and he slept like a log for three days and nights before he woke up. That's how exhausted he was. What was wrong with him? A demon. An anointed man of God. Can they be careful and slip right in you, and you even as a preacher or anointed man of God not know what you've got? Obviously, it did. It happened to A.A. Allen. So does that make you and me aware of the fact we need to be very careful? We need to constantly be aware if something happens to us and we start feeling something wrong, like this precious little lady over here, she started feeling she was taking on the attributes of this other girl. That was a familiar spirit from that girl that's trying to come over and overtake her. If she does not know what's going on, that thing will come in. Just like the way we started off tonight with a Pentecostal woman that heard the voice of God. The voice of God. And God told her to kill her family. She heard the voice of God all right. How many of you know what God it was? It's the wrong God, right, Miss Betty? Guarantee that's the wrong God because the God you and me serve said all good and perfect gifts comes from Him. But the God of this world steals, kills, and destroys. So you've got to learn how to discern those voices because in this age you and I live in today, I'm going to tell you that's going to become more and more and more obvious that those kind of things are happening. You need to learn because the devil knows his season is just about up. And he's furious. And he's doing things and he's going to wipe out the world if he can. The Word of God says that even if it were possible, he would even deceive the elect. So you better make sure that you're training yourself, you're reading the book, you're working holy holy before God. And that you're learning who the enemy is and you're learning 
how much power you have over him. So when you have a sensation like you had, young lady, you exercise your power as a clean, pure daughter of the king and rebuke that beast and command it to get out in the name of Jesus. Just like Don Busby did the other night. How many people would have been with me if they had been a normal person? I mean, I can assure you a normal person been with me that day if they'd even asked to lay hands on that person. And that evil spirit might have transferred to that person without touching them. I mean, talking about A.A. Allen, I remember one of his stories. I heard him talk on, on a TV. They, they had some filming back in those days. And there was a woman standing up on the front row, and she came up and she said, Sir, I can't hear in this ear. So he put his hands in her ear and commanded the demon to come out of her. Instantly she could hear. And about three rows back, a woman back there says, Oh, I can't hear. I can't hear. The demon went back there. He said, Come up here, woman. That woman had come up there. He put his fingers in her ear and commanded the demon to come out, and he left. And the woman on the back said, I can't hear. I can't hear. That demon was just going here to here, like that all over the church. When he cast it out of the third woman, he commanded the demon to go outside and leave them alone, and no more. But three women became, where they couldn't hear, when that demon was cast out of one, he went to another. He cast out of that and went to another one. See, these demons are real. See, we just don't understand. See, now every one of those women, as daughters of the king, if they'd only known who they were, when that thing come in and hit, they said, Oh, no, you don't, you beast. In the name of Jesus, I have authority over you. In the name of Jesus, you can't stay. You've got to get out of here. You have that kind of power, don't you? Yes. yes, you do. So you need to not listen to those things. And uh, Sarah and I learned this, uh, I'd say 15 years ago or so, that if we'll put God first, uh, that's every day. If you'll get up and pray and seek God stay under God's protection he will deliver you from the fowler and the trap he'll put his uh, his umbrella of protection around you but you've got to make a commitment on a daily basis yeah. you want to stay clean then get before God and put him first this is every day yeah. and just don't get up and go to work because you, you, you are in a battle yeah. if you want to stay clean and, and keep these things from you then Get up and put God's first. So it takes an hour, 30 minutes. Big deal. It's worth it. Amen. It's worth it. In fact, that Psalms 91, it's amazing how we read Psalms 91. We don't, we don't remember the first two verses. Just like Psalms 103, you know, we remember the benefit package, but we forget the first two verses where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is with me. Bless His holy name. You know, if you want the whole thing to work for you, you have to do that just like He says to them, that make the Most High God their dwelling place. Their dwelling place. Now then, if I were to make the house I live in my dwelling place, guess how often I'm there? Real often. Me and that house get to know each other well. I spend lots of hours in that house making tapes, you know, teaching or learning these things and all the stuff. But if I only went there once a week for 30 minutes or an hour or two hours on Sunday morning... I wouldn't be dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God. Just like you said, Dan, you've got to live it every day, right? Any other questions before we quit here tonight? No, you got another one? I had one back here on the back, too. So what about when we have friends that aren't Christians that, I mean, so we shouldn't be eating with them? And Let me tell you what, if you've got Christian friends and you're going to have anything to do with them, you need to start finding out what they do and where they go and who they talk to, and if they're holy and clean, and if they see themselves like that. You know, if you're going to have any kind of an intimacy with them at all, if you're going to have them in your home, 
you need to make sure they're good people. You know, that they're not living in sin. You know, you understand where I'm coming from? And what if they are? If, if they're not, if they're not, you're to tell them what to do. If they're not, if you, in other words, the Word of God clearly says, if you have someone that's a Christian brother or sister and you know they're living in any kind of sin, what are you supposed to do? Tell them. That's exactly right. You're supposed to tell them. And if they say, well, I don't believe what you're saying. So, well, then I want you to come down. Where, where do you go to church? And they tell you where they go to church. You say, let's you and me go down and let's talk to your pastor and see what he says about these things. And then you better hope he got a good pastor. If he's got a good pastor, and then if they refuse to repent there, then he says, you take them to the church. The whole bunch. And then he says, they repent there. Oh, a non-Christian, that's a whole different deal. Paul said you don't have to sweat that because you can't leave the, I mean, the world. It's your Christian brothers and sisters that are supposed to be holy. Now, the world out there, you as a believer, you've got authority over all that. As long as you're walking holy, I mean, you, know, you, you, just, you have authority over them. Just, but, I mean, don't bring them into your home and, and live with them and, and knowing they're living in sin. I mean, when people say, you know, I've got a son or a daughter... And that son, he's living with a girl, and he, I mean, they're living in his bedroom in my house. Uh, not in my house, you ain't. Not in my house, you ain't. I'm not going to be a partaker of your sin. I guarantee you. I mean, use some common sense. You know, walk uh, holy. What, another question back here? Did Somebody had a question? Yeah, I was just thinking about the um, fact that Jesus, he was the perfect one, and so he didn't have that problem. That's right. right? He was perfect. And what about his disciples? I mean, you know, Jesus could sit with the Pharisees or the uh, Zacchaeus and, you know, the, the tax collector, but when it came to the disciples, how did they deal with that? How did they deal with it? Because they were just human, didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them yet, and how did they deal with that? Well, as soon as they got the Holy Spirit, as soon as Jesus died and rose again, and he left there. Then they all got the Holy Spirit. All of them were praying for ten days. And they all got the Holy Spirit. And then all of those men, I can assure you, that all of those apostles, with what they've written in the Word of God, and how they've talked about, we are to be sinless. Now, this is something that Bill, I mean, Bill Gothard, as much as I've talked to him in the last few months with this, I told him yesterday, I said, now, Bill, the one thing that I'm going to preach to the Baptists and everybody else that comes to those seminars that the Word of God demands that they walk holy before Him. He said, Thurman, it's all over the book. He said, there ain't hardly nobody preaching it. But he said, it's all over the book. I said, okay. As long as you know, I'm going to preach and teach that the consequences or connections of sickness and disease is attached to sin. And if you're not willing to repent, of course, now he's seen it three times. He has seen three mighty, awesome miracles standing in his office. And not only that, I got tickled the other day when I was talking to that young man. His sister was there. And she said, by the way, Bill, tell him ten days ago when he was talking to Heather, a girl. He said, I was sitting over here listening to you all on the speakerphone. And she said, I have had migraine headaches at least every other night in the wee hours of the morning. And after I heard him talk about that, she said, those demons, when he commanded the demons to leave Heather, said they left me and I ain't had a headache since that day. <laughs> And another thing she said, since I've learned what caused them, she said, I ain't going to have another one either. And I said, Bill, she's saying the right things. Now, if that Baptist sister of his got a hold of that that easy, you know what God's fixing to do with us? See? But see, it's a requirement, isn't it? Walk holy before him. When you leave out of here tonight, your goal should be no sin. 
Walk holy before the King. Right, Dave? Walk in obedience to the Word. And study the Word. And because there's a battle going on out there. And you don't want no part of that evil one, do you? No. You don't want no part of that evil one. You want to walk holy before God. You don't want to give no place to the devil. You want to make sure you break every soul tie. In fact, on a regular basis, we as Christians, when we come in contact with people we think that's unclean, it wouldn't hurt anything when you walk out. If you, somebody touched you or you went to a hospital and touched somebody, when you walk out there, you say, Lord, I break every soul tie between me and that person. By faith, I'm clean. And any demon that was attached to that soul tie, you can't save any demon. You're going to have to stay here in this hospital or wherever you are or in their house. But I'm not allowing you to have anything in my life. Because, see, they have to be subject to you. And if you don't tell them where to go, they'll keep beating up on you. Just like whenever I had Andy lay hands on Luke. And I told him, I said, now lay your hands on and rebuke that demon and tell him to leave. And he did. And Andy's pain instantly left. So guess what left? The demon. The devil. Something in it. We can't see these things, but they sure do cause lots of pains. Now, it's amazing. Yes, I realize it's time to go. Yeah. It's only 9.30, Bo. Good grief. In the name of Jesus. Father, I praise you and thank you for one more opportunity to teach the Word of God. Lord, for, have all these questions. And, I, Lord, I know you have a different plan quite often. But, Lord, later we will teach on angels. But, Father, tonight I just realized this had to be something that you wanted done tonight. I didn't plan at all to teach on this. But I hope everybody here, Lord, has gained a little insight into what they need to do and how careful they need to be as they walk and the importance of walking in a total faith-love relationship all the time so they open no doors to the demonic world. And I praise you and thank you for today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.